Welcome to Whole Mother. This is KPFT Houston, 90.1 FM HD1. I'm your host, Pat Jones, and this is Houston's community station. Whole Mother is a voice in our community which educates and informs us. There are many decisions to be made out there as a parent, mother, father, grandparent, aunt, uncle, birthing person, friend. Whole Mother believes that we need to always make our choices based on rational thinking. Choices that are made through education and research, not out of fear, especially fear that is imposed by those who stand to gain by our choices. It is hoped that the education you receive on this show will contribute to changing the way we birth and the way we parent. All humans are born good. I've seen more than 3,000 babies come into the world, and I can tell you that there are no bad babies. There are no bad humans. All babies are born exactly the same in their goodness, their innocence, their curiosity, their brilliance, their ability to love and to trust. They are all born with the same delight in the world. It doesn't matter what country they're born in or what skin color they have or what language they're learning to speak or how much money is in their family. We are all born with the same goodness. We all come into the world with the same potential. If that's true, that all humans are born without hate, judgment, shame, jealousy, then where do we learn those qualities if we're not born with them? Whole Mother is here to look at our parenting, which begins in the very first moment, probably at conception. If we want to live in a peaceful world, don't we need to begin life in a peaceful world? If we want to teach our children peace, love, harmony, respect, then don't we need to give that first? Remember that KPFT is listener-sponsored, and you are the listeners. I'm seeing that KPFT cannot continue to air this program while others fundraise to keep us on the air. We need to do our part. We need $1,400 every quarter in order to pay for our show, The Whole Mother Show. I'm asking if you would help us keep our do our part Keep us on the air by contributing anything you can, especially if you could do that on a regular basis so that every quarter we have the amount of money that we need to pay for the show. I'm doing the very best that I can to bring you education, truths about parenting, birthing, the best information I can find. I'm asking you to help keep us on the air please go to kpft.org and donate or tip or pledge or join. You can also uh, email me at birthcare at aol.com with suggestions for the show or for fundraising if you have an idea about how we can do this. My guest this evening, I'm very excited about, my guest is... Patrice Harris, encouraged to support women after the birth of her own daughters. 
Patrice Harris has been helping families with childbirth education, labor and, and birth, postpartum and lactation support since 1992. <laughs> From day one, she loved being a mom, but before the birth of her own two girls, she was not sure what to expect in this new role. And because of that, it became very important to help others, educate others who felt the same way. Her initial lactation training was through the University of Texas Health Science Center and the City of Houston WIC program. Childbirth education came next as she began teaching Lamaze classes to expectant families, birthing moms, and adopting parents. In 2012, she was able to take the leap away from corporate America and focus full-time attention on caring for women. It was no longer just a part-time venture. Bridging the gap between childbirth education and breastfeeding support, she began working as a birth and postpartum doula, becoming certified through DONA and ICEA. Learning more about the wisdom of women's bodies, Catrice realized there is yet so much more to learn. And in that quest to learn more, she began the journey toward becoming a midwife. She's been fortunate to learn from many midwives in the Houston area through births at home and birth centers and hospitals as well. As of December 2021, she finished her formal midwifery education through the National College of Midwifery and is eager to sit for the national licensing exam. While working toward that long-awaited goal, Catrice supports aspiring birth and postpartum doulas as they complete their training and currently works as a doula mentor with a nonprofit organization in Houston whose goal is to make doula support available in underserved communities and improve postpartum outcomes. Having supported over 350 women with the births of their babies as of early 2023, and countless more with breastfeeding and postpartum care. She is truly grateful that this work found her. Welcome to Whole Mother, Catrice. We are so happy to have you. Thank you, Pat. I'm very happy to be here again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so tell us, uh, <laughs> tell us a little more. Why did you choose the path of midwifery? Well, you know, Pat, the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed countries. And it just seems that there, uh, there are things that we can do. There's so much work to be done. And midwifery is one avenue toward that end. Just to share a little bit of um, information statistically, in 2020, the maternal mortality rate in the United States was 24 deaths per 100,000 live births. And that's looking at a totality of women, not breaking them down into various categories. This number is more than three times the rate in most other high-income countries, <clears throat> but the numbers are not getting better. In 2019, that number was 20 deaths per 100,000 births, and in 2018, it was 17. So mm -hmm. we're, we're clearly going in the wrong direction. Really? And then if we break that, yes, definitely. And then if we break that down just a little bit more into uh, categories of different races, racial backgrounds. In 2020, again, looking at 100,000 women per category, there were um, 
19 women, uh, 19 white, 19 deaths of white women per 100,000 in that race. There were 18 deaths among Hispanic women, but 55 deaths among black women per 100,000 giving birth. So the numbers are, are clear. The numbers aren't fabricated. And it just seems that there are changes that need to be made. Personally, I feel that birth is a gift and to share in the normal process of birth is a privilege. And as I've supported women through the journey of pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum period, I've come to understand that there's so much more to caring for women than just what we read in books. The most intuitive education, at least for me personally, has been gained from watching the miracle of birth and all that comes with it actually in action. I I regularly witness women not receiving accurate information or sound maternity care. Many women put their sole trust in doctors who, while they may be great physicians and surgeons, often have never seen a birth without medication or at least one intervention. And the sad phenomenon is that holistic care of women should be the very core of obstetrics. I I just wanted to add here, first of all, the statistics that you just gave um, showing how high uh, the maternal mortality is per 100,000 women, uh, more than double from white uh, 19.1 in 2020 to black 55.3. Uh, that seems to mm-hmm. me outrageous. I I don't understand why, why we are not uh, having big protests on every street corner with, you know, big <laughs> posters that we're holding up. That we need to do something about this, that this is really wrong. Um, That's so funny. My dad said the same thing. Really? <laughs> see, see. So um, I, I think, you know, people need to get this information. What you ha- are sharing with us is so important uh, because we need to be outraged because that's what we need to feel in order to make the changes. So I I wanted to say that. And then there was something else I wanted to say here when you were talking about uh, how many physicians have never seen a birth without medication uh, or have Mm -hmm. seen a birth with at least one intervention. And I was wanting to tell you that in my career, uh, I had three of my consulting physicians in, in that career who, when they got ready to retire, they finally agreed that, yes, they would come to a home birth. Because, you know, I've been pestering them for a long time. Come to this woman's uh-huh. birth. And, and I would get the client to ask them to, you know, would you like to come to my birth? And they never did until the end of their careers. And each one of them came to one birth. And they wouldn't come into the bedroom Uh, They stood at the door, but they could see enough to know what was going on and how different it was. And each one of them had the same sort of response. They were astounded. And it was like they got it. They understood something that they had never understood before. Um, Now, I don't think, you know, uh, they didn't do anything about that (laughs) as far as I know, you know, but... um, But it did tell me how important it is, I think, uh, that we try to get more physicians, uh, especially medical students, I think, maybe, I don't know, to come to home birth, to see what it's like, to see what are we trying to do. 
uh, come to a birth center birth, see what, what water birth looks like, you know, cause I don't even know what mm-hmm. water birth is. Most of them or, or not what in the Houston. advantage, not in Houston. <laughs> right. Anyway. Uh, okay. I didn't mean to interrupt you. So uh, go no, ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> you I were telling us about, <laughs> um, about why you chose the path of midwifery. Um, well, yes. And, and partly for the reason you just, that experience you just shared. Um, I also uh, knew a doctor who was recently out of um, her residency. And I, I said, just join me at the birth center, just come mm-hmm. to one birth. And her response was, when something goes wrong, not if, but when something goes wrong, I'll be the highest degree person in the room and I'll be responsible Mm-hmm. for what goes wrong right. and at, at that point I just kind of threw my right. hands up because that's right. that's not you that's can't, what's been indoctrinated that's yeah. right and that's how our yeah. society does it too I mean she's absolutely right yeah. I mean not that it would happen every time but if something went wrong there's that if possibility that she had been there that yeah. so I can understand that You know, and so without any false idealism, we just have to realize that much of the maternity care system is governed by commercialism as well. It's a business. And there are so many levels of change that we're just not capable of attaining because we're taking on uh, the system of big business. With the knowledge gained. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So huge. Yes. Yes. It's, it's sorry funny, the insurance companies no 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 yeah i totally agree and pharmaceutical um, you, companies yeah uh-huh all of that and i keep uh, you know hoping that with the knowledge gained through midwifery and through those studies and training that i'll be able to touch as many lives as possible you know my goal is to help families and then communities to see birth as wellness and not illness and as a transitional period of growth in a woman's life that should be embraced and not suppressed or manipulated with drugs and unnecessary processes. Yes. Birth yeah. is a normal, and, natural mm-hmm. body function. It's not it a is, medical event. Yes. No. And, and don't get me wrong. I truly appreciate that we have modern medicine and that we uh, have tools available. But there's um, there's a video out there in circulation that I share with my my families a lot. And one of the statements made in the video is that we need to use these tools strategically and and not as the go-to, but only when they're absolutely necessary. Yes. And personally, Pat, I I don't see women in color. I see women as Mm -hmm. women, even without Mm -hmm. breaking down those earlier numbers into racial categories. 24 women dying per 100,000 is way too many. Yes. So it's it's a system that's flawed. But with that, our, our current common medical model of birth fails everyone, regardless of race or nationalities. The numbers don't lie. However, when we drill down a little bit further, it's just a fact that Black women and babies are dying at higher rates than any other national group or race. And as modern medicine improves, the numbers continue to decline year over year. So if we're really concerned about making changes and saving lives and uh, you know helping women, we cannot ignore the numbers. Right. They're, um, they're very real. And I, we must also accept that we live in a society where race, 
socioeconomic status and other defining lines absolutely govern the care that women receive. And they, it also governs women's own perception of themselves and what that care should look like. So as a Black woman, I have the opportunity to talk to women of my race and similar nationalities on a level that they may not welcome others on. And I consider that a gift. Now, the statistics also support the fact that there are disparities in care among women of different races and nationalities. So the care disparities can't be ignored either. So back to your question of why I've chosen midwifery, I chose it because the numbers can be improved with good care. And that care begins long before birth. Another quote that um, I heard is, birth is not just one day. That came from the play, the, the birth play <laughs> that, that, that you've helped us put on for so many years, that birth is not just one day. And I, I think if we acknowledge that and start supporting women throughout the pregnancy, throughout the pregnancy mm -hmm. year, before they become pregnant, then we can, we can engage these affected women in the cause of improving their outcomes. We encourage them to actually participate in their care and not just act as passive recipients. Mm -hmm. So I take pride in being able to be a voice and advocate and example and a support system for, for anyone who needs it. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. So um, this is Black History Month. Um, and I wanted you to uh, give our audience a little history about African-American midwives. Sure. So for African-American midwives, this role is a part of our heritage. It's a culture of our ancestors from hundreds of generations across oceans. Uh, it's a heritage that survived the passage of slave trading. And as these women and families were brought across, they brought with them the knowledge of birth and natural medicinal skills. Very, very seldom were there uh, written accounts or written instructions. This was just knowledge and skill that was passed down from family to family, from woman to woman, generationally. And many of the African villages, there was not just one specific woman who was known as the midwife of her village. As a matter of fact, it's really difficult to find an African translation of the word midwife. Mm. It's just a cultural, it's just what they did. It didn't need a title. So birthing was looked on as being woman's work. And older women who had given birth before assisted the next generation during labor. Oftentimes, it would simply be the birthing woman's mother or grandmother or other women in their communities who were there to help. Only if there was difficulty would someone else be called in, and that would usually be the medicine man. And other than him, it was considered taboo for a man to even be in the hut of a birthing woman, even the father of the baby. So that's, that's how culturally uh, it was done. Then it wasn't until slavery around the 17th century on plantations that women were appointed as midwives based on their knowledge and familiarity of womancraft. So then these enslaved women began helping not just their sisters, daughters, um, relatives, and, and other slaves, but they also helped those who were enslaving them. And moving up a little further, even as recently as the mid 20th century, African-American midwives are caring for birthing families in Southern communities. But the sad part is they would receive as little as two or three dollars as payments mm. or sometimes barter for 
animals such as chickens and, and barter for food. And it didn't get better. So with healthcare reforms in the early to mid 1900s, such as the Shepherd Towner Act, many lay midwives of color were forced to stop providing these crucial services in their communities because they didn't have access to or money for the newly required medical schooling. So while they had skills, they were required to have a piece of paper, to have a document to, to back up or verify that, that they could do what they'd been doing for generations. And then despite evidence that demonstrated better outcomes when midwives of color cared for women, traditional midwifery still began to wane in the 1920s because we had a greater uh, push with obstetrics coming along. So fast forwarding even to recent years, we, we are fortunately seeing an increase in midwifery among women of color and uh, you know for so many backgrounds and nationalities, but there, there are still struggles and there are still hurdles to overcome. I remember seeing many years ago, I remember seeing one of those posters that they used to, it was like a poster, it was a sign. And, and it was uh, the way that they were trying to get people to not use the midwife, but they're trying to get the people to move into the hospital. And so they had a picture of this elderly woman who was all sort of hunched down and looked really not so good. <laughs> and and the sign said this or this with a shiny, you know, the nice looking hospital. <laughs> and it was one of the ways that they used to try to coerce people into stop using the midwife and come to the hospital. So sad. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. So um, how can we uh, and healthcare professionals implement changes to address socioeconomic and cultural barriers that have contributed to the healthcare disparities in African Americans, which we we see by those statistics that you gave us, uh, how huge that is. Um, also, the underserved population. Well, Pat, I believe we have to begin by closing the gap. We need to increase the level of cultural sensitivity among healthcare providers, we have to recognize that unfavorable socioeconomic and cultural barriers are pre-existing conditions. We need to improve the community surrounding African-Americans and other patients of color, increase the number of healthcare workers of color, i.e. midwives, and hugely important, I do believe we need to encourage more birth workers of color to, to step up and embrace the call and 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 really feel accepted in the communities and in not just uh, hospital care, but even out of hospital care for those who choose that. You know, the sad reality is that we live in a world where racism still thrives and this affects birth outcomes and so much more. But we can reach more women if more felt that they were understood and if they felt that their caregivers could intimately relate to their personal struggles and uniqueness. Yes. And not just not just put in a box. Yes. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, um, you know, there was I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to ask you about <laughs> any new research out there. Yes, absolutely. So there are some some findings from the Boston Medical Center that show that women born in the United States have an increased risk 
of experiencing perinatal outcomes, just being born in the United States, you know, developed industrialized country, big strides in so many things, but these women are at an, at an increased risk of adverse perinatal outcomes. And then again, digging a little deeper, among those giving birth who were born in the United States, Black patients experienced a 22% higher prevalence of hypertensive disorders, a 28% higher prevalence of preterm birth, and 83% increased prevalence of early preterm birth compared to white patients. And just to quote the National Partnership for Women and Families, Science is catching up to the truth that communities of color have known for generations, that experiencing racism throughout one's life course damages one's long-term health. Um, the research is there. <laughs> yes. Uh, when I hear that from you, it reminds me about the study some quite a long time ago where in, in one of the, I think it was in the Bronx in New York City, but I'm not positive, they opened a midwifery clinic. And when they opened that clinic, the statistics just changed dramatically for the better. Uh, and then for political reasons, after a few years, the clinic was closed and the statistics went back up. I, I thought that was astounding because it proved completely that midwifery care, uh, being listened to, being given attention, being given information, uh, which is what midwives do, uh, that that changed everything. Yeah. You know, Pat, there's, there's one other thing that um, you and I hadn't talked about before, but it's, and it's a little bit of a touchy subject right within, um, I guess we might say the midwifery community, but we, we need midwives of color, we need birth workers who uh, the clients can relate to. And sometimes when someone looks like you, it makes it a little bit easier. And we know there are two different paths to midwifery. There's the certified nurse midwife route by becoming a nurse first and going through university. And then there's the CPM, the certified professional midwife route. And it's just a little concerning that the uh, licensing exam, the certification exam is only available in English. It's not translated wow. into other languages. And so we have women of color who do not claim English as their first language and, and that inhibits progress. So there's a lot of work to be done on the governmental mm -hmm. level, but there's also a lot of work to be done, um, you know, on a, little bit closer to home with mm -hmm. wanting to put birth workers of color in their communities. I didn't know that. It feels so wrong. And here it is right in our own backyard, sort of, mm -hmm. uh, that we should be doing that. But uh, this is how we make changes, Trish, you know, by putting this information out there, by educating people, our community about what's happening. And that's how we make changes. So good job. <laughs> All right. So tell okay. us now what what private or government funded programs are available to assist and educate women of color. Well, in doing a little bit of research, I came across several about eight or nine that are going strong. Three of these, just to mention a, a few of them, are the National Birth Equity Collaborative. Their focus is on removing barriers to reproductive justice. Then there's the System Midwives Productions based in New Orleans. 
and they provide education, training, and consultations for communities, birth workers, and organizations that work with childbearing families. And then there is the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, which is a Black woman-led alliance that centers on advocacy, driving research, and shifting the culture for Black maternal health rights and justice. So there are a lot of um, good, good initiatives in, in our country, in the United States. And while these are wonderful initiatives, it's a little concerning that right here in our own backyard of Houston, Texas, it seems that we're letting women down. And I can only speak from my own personal experiences and firsthand accounts, but just in the past two weeks alone, I've witnessed or heard stories from potential clients or women that have you know, come and, and asked me for uh, direction on various things. I've heard their stories about being given half-truths, we'll call it half-truths to be politically correct, about their care in order to be coerced into unnecessary inductions. Uh, some of this is because hospitals are full and they um, they have to keep their numbers manageable. And again, they're running a business. So on the one hand, you can't blame them for running a business the best way that, that they need to run the business. But we have to ask, how does this affect the women in their care? Often we see that there are doctors who are too busy with heavy surgical schedules to give attention to women who have late pregnancy concerns. One of the concerns that I've um, personally encountered recently is a breech baby that has a chance to be turned, but there's no physician available or willing to perform the procedure to help turn this baby. Another concern was a pregnant woman who's escaping an abusive relationship. She needs big picture care in order to have a, a positive outcome, not just typical check a box care. You know, and there's um, another woman I met who's newly pregnant with the history of miscarriage. She can't find a doctor who's willing to see her before 14 weeks into her pregnancy because of tight schedules. So doctors are busy and women fall through the cracks. You know, often uh, the concern might be insurance that doesn't value midwifery and the right of a woman to choose how she gives birth. And we could go on and on. But at the end of the day, collaborative care between obstetricians and midwives could really solve many of these issues. Yes. Um, I'm not uh, on a soapbox and saying midwifery is the only way. I mean, <laughs> there are obstetricians who can, can do wonders for these women with higher risk situations or who just prefer to birth in a hospital. That's, that's a beautiful thing for women to just birth their way, but we need to do better with collaborating and providing options for women out there. Yes, indeed, we do. Uh, so tell us about the Black Maternal Community Call to Action. Yes, so I was invited to be a guest on the panel of the Black Maternal Community Call to Action that took place in May of 2022. There is an impressive lineup of community leaders as speakers who hold really high positions in our city. However, the prevailing theme was moving in faster to fix the problem that black women face once they're in the hospital to give birth. You know, it was as if all we have to, to that, that we absolutely have to accept that we're sick and thank goodness there's someone dedicated to talking about it and maybe one day fixing it. The disturbing part is that there was zero focus on preventing the problems and supporting women, supporting pregnancy, supporting birth 
from a holistic, emotional, and mental level first. There is zero focus on us not being the problem in the first place, but rather that the care and lack thereof is the root of the problem. And it's just a fact that a woman's mental and emotional well-being plays a huge role in the health of her pregnancy. No prejudices sadly exist within our own race. And the poor outcomes can often be attributed to care from a caregiver of the same race. So we need a proactive rather than reactive approach to care in our community. It's really about autonomy and genuine freedom of choice. And I'll share one other thing. Um, When I made a statement at this call to action, uh, someone in the audience asked a question and I gave a really honest answer about attending a birth. Um, The patient was a black female. Her doctor was a black female and the doctor came in and took over the birth. She didn't inquire about how the woman was feeling. She felt that there had been too much time and she needed to have this baby. So they were going to start some invasive procedures to make it happen. And that's not an isolated incident. Right. So I, I have to be honest, I didn't really get a standing ovation when I, when I shared my feedback on that. But there were some in the audience who appreciated hearing the truth. And again, we're taking away that autonomy. We're not supporting women of any race when we when we come in and take over their experiences. I'd, I'd like to hear a little more about what your answer was. Uh, there, but you know what what it brings up for me is looking that birth is part of our capitalistic medical society. It just seems to me that m- most of our uh, goals are about how we can do this so we can make the most money possible. Maximize on the number of on the population in the hospital at that given time. Yes, yes. Uh, well, tell us, uh, do you know any other Houston-based community programs that, that support better birth outcomes in the Black community? Yes, so I was really pleased to learn uh, recently that March of Dimes is putting together a program where they are um, hiring and training doulas, Black doulas, to support women in some of our underserved communities. So they they're just getting the program off the ground. And my understanding is that they're hoping to actually have doulas working with families by late 2023, between October and December, I believe is the information I was given. So that hey, is Martha so Dines. exciting. <laughs> yes. Uh, tell me a little more about that uh, program. How many doulas are, will they, do they think they'll train in a year? To You know, I haven't go gotten the details. Okay. I, I don't know exactly. I think they're still actually working some of that out as well. I see. Um, but that but it'll be a, a training program just for black doulas to go out into the community to right, serve in their... these communities uh-huh. where the numbers are bad. Yep. Uh-huh. Very good. And is there another and one? Then, yes. So the University of Houston has a program called Healthy Start, and Healthy Start offers quite a bit in the way of support. They have a program just for for dads, just for fathers. They have a nurse on staff who supports women with various challenges. And um, and they'll look after these families for quite a while into the postpartum period, up to a year Mm -hmm. after 
after the baby's born. And then just re- they do a lot. There are a lot mm-hmm. of services that I but that would take up, you know, a, another half hour to talk about. But I am happy to be a part of their doula program that was just started within the past year. And with that, they are providing doulas to support women in specific zip codes where the numbers are really bad in our in our area. And the service to the parents is free of charge. And the program is grant funded. So the doulas get paid from the grant. And it's, um, it's going really well so far. I've, I've been able to mentor the doulas in the program. And they've just... I'm, I'm so proud of what I see. They, uh-huh. they've just hit the ground running and they really care about the women that mm-hmm. they're working with. So it's been, it's been inspiring and mm-hmm. just really nice to watch it unfold. Very good. And that's University of Houston Healthy Start. Yes. All right. Yes. Very good. I'm that's, that isn't that hopeful though, that we have <laughs> something in our community that's moving us forward. Uh, well, you know, I want to ask you, what's the root of all this problem? I think it's, well, I don't think that the numbers reflect that it's discrimination. Research suggests that stress induced by racial discrimination plays a significant role in maternal and infant mortality. You know, there are uh, lots of studies done every year by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, We'll just call them CDC for short. And the data, excuse me, data published in 2018 um, broke up, again, maternal mortality by into the all mothers group, and then it breaks it up by race. And so just in um, 2018, when we just look at all mothers in this group, 14 mothers would die. And then when we extrapolate those numbers for various races out of uh, white women 12 would die and of the black mothers 43 would die so once again we see yes we see alarming numbers from yet another statistical pool that shows whichever way we roll the dice it still comes out that black women and babies are dying Mm -hmm. at an alarming rate and it, at the, that first glance, you know, some would think, well, poverty and low socioeconomic status has to be the reason why, but that's absolutely not it. Uh, racism is the reason why. These numbers include women from one end of the financial spectrum to the other end. So it's it's not about that status or, or how much money. It's about how women are made to feel when they walk into a doctor's office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... I do this work. I support doulas and mentor and train doulas. And um, I'm aware of the numbers, but I have to share that I went to a doctor. It's been a year now because I didn't want to go back. (laughs) You know, a little over a year ago, I went to a doctor just for, um, you know, an annual checkup. And after I was seated in the exam room and, you know, in the, the gown that they give you before they do an exam, so now I'm in somewhat of a vulnerable mental state. Yes. Yes. Um, she just began talking down to me. Mm-hmm. And when, when we're both fully clothed and in the hallway, she would talk to me like we'd known each other for years, which actually we, we have. I've attended births with her as the, the obstetrician. But in that exam space, 
she was telling me things and almost berating me for my choices mm-hmm. for my own health care. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to mentally pause and, and check the way I was feeling because I felt intimidated. I yes. felt that I couldn't speak up for myself. Yes. So it's, it's, it's just, it's not something that's made up. The numbers are not, mm-hmm. um, you know, just pulled out of a hat, but there is something to be said for how women are made to feel when they are cared for by someone who looks like them or, or someone who at least appreciates yes. and honors their choices. Right. So we, we, we can't just blame it on right. putting women in a box. I'm so sorry that that happened, but imagine you're you're a powerful woman and you knew had a relationship with this physician. I can only just imagine what it would be like for a woman who didn't know this physician in any way and who was already intimidated by the lack of knowledge that she had. Absolutely. And and I think that's the key, the lack of knowledge. So when we're not educated, well, even when we are educated, sometimes there's a tendency to cower down. But especially when we don't have the education, we don't have the knowledge, we don't feel secure in our own choices when someone else raises doubts about those. That's when we see women shying away from care that they need because they don't. Who wants to be made to feel that way? Right. You know, and and many of these caregivers don't would not call themselves racist, you know, they wouldn't put themselves in that box. But what needs to be understood is that women need to feel understood at a very basic human level. They need to be respected for their uniqueness. Yes. And again, just looking at at, um, those who are affected in that way, the most non-Hispanic, other Pacific Islanders, that group, American Indian, Alaska Native women, another group, and then black women, all of these groups are four or more times more likely to not get prenatal care until their third trimester. And we know that by then many health problems can set in and, and sometimes things are harder to fix, you know, yes. when you're 32 weeks along into your pregnancy. Right. So we have to ask why, why is this the case? And according to research, Uh, such as that done in part by the University of Pennsylvania, patients report higher satisfaction from being able to choose caregivers of their same race or nationality. There's just a comfort level there, and even more notable when a woman is in the vulnerable state of pregnancy. And even more notable than that, among women who are still to this day subjected to intimidation and misconstrued ideas about the care of their own bodies. Mm-hmm. The statistics mm-hmm. are real. Yeah. Very sad. Oh, is there, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I, I feel like I'm just throwing all these numbers out there, but <laughs> the numbers just paint such a big picture. Well, I think that's important too, because we're not just uh, sharing our personal opinion. You know, you're, you're showing what the research says with numbers. Uh, uh, tell us about some of the percentages of mothers who receive prenatal care. Yes. So going back to that topic of those who don't receive anything until the third trimester, I'm looking at percentages, and these are numbers that came out in 2019. Uh, the percentage of mothers who receive prenatal care in the first trimester 
just looking at just separating into black mothers and white mothers, uh, 83% of white mothers received prenatal care in their first mm -hmm. trimester. 67% of black mothers received prenatal care in their first trimester. And those who received late or no prenatal care, that would be four and a half percent of white mothers and nine and a half percent of black mothers received no prenatal care at all. Almost in their double. Pregnancies. Double. Right, right. So an, another category in which we um, we see that there are great disparities. Mm -hmm. uh, well, what about the newborn? How does maternal care impact the, the newborn? Well, believe it or not, and probably in part to March of Dimes efforts, we have seen some minor improvements in those statistics, but the numbers are still sad regarding infant mortality. The mortality rate for non-Hispanic Black infants remains more than twice that of non-Hispanic white infants. That, and mortality rate, how many babies die? So we're seeing babies die. And these newborns whose mothers had no prenatal care, almost five times more likely to die than babies born to mothers who had early prenatal mm -hmm. care. So that first trimester care can make a life or death difference for these babies. You know, but often the sad reality again, is that prenatal care is beyond the reach of many women because either they don't have insurance or they have insurance with restrictions that they just can't meet or there are other financial and educational barriers. You know, I mentioned the mom who was escaping an abusive relationship earlier, who just had trouble getting in to be seen by a doctor. Well. An, a, another piece of her story is that she had insurance. She was able to finally get insurance, but her deductible was so high and no doctor would see her until mm -hmm. she met that very, very high mm -hmm. deductible in the thousands. So this mom mm -hmm. is in now entering her third trimester and finally getting care from an obstetrician. That so there are financial. Tragic. Yeah. Tragic. <laughs> it is so wrong i'm sorry i interrupted yeah, absolutely. you no no it's just well it's it is sad it is tragic yeah. and when we compare the infant mortality um rates and this is with from the march of dimes deaths per 1000 babies and this was broken up into five categories so in 2018 um almost five babies would die out of a thousand who were white uh five would die who were hispanic 11 babies would die who were black mm. from the Asian Pacific Islander category, four babies and the American Indian Alaska native babies, almost nine. And then if we look at 2020, again, minor, minor improvements, but very little. So instead of almost five babies who were white, the number dropped to four um, from the Hispanic community. Instead of five, we're now at, 4.7, but it's, you know, you can still round that up to five because yes. you can't have 0.7th of a baby. Um, <laughs> black communities, instead of 10.9 uh, or 11, we're now at 10.4. So minor changes. Very minor. Asian Pacific yes, Island, yes mm -hmm. very minor. Um, similar numbers with our Asian Pacific Islander moms, three, our American Indian Alaska, excuse me, Alaska Native moms, 7.7 um, .7 are still almost eight. So minor improvements, but 
definitely not enough. We've got a long way to go. Yes, indeed, we do. Um, you know, what, and, go ahead. I was going to say you uh, and you've been inviting me to do this show for a while. And I look back on statistics that I pulled from 2011. And so here we are in 2023 mm -hmm. and the, the numbers are just about the same or even worse. I um, mean, 2011, non-Hispanic black women died at a rate of 28.4 per 100,000 live births. Whereas white women who are of non-Hispanic origin, their deaths were 10.5. So we're still looking at a 50% or more difference. And it hasn't, uh, another it hasn't really, changed. No, it no. hasn't changed. It's gotten worse. It's definitely not getting better, but our technology gets better. Um, something that I thought was really interesting is that while the U.S. maternal mortality rate has been on the rise, since 2020, there's been a, a definitely a spike during the COVID-19 pandemic. And there was a tendency to blame this spike on COVID-19. But what's really interesting is that the maternal mortality rate dropped in Australia, Japan, and the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. The COVID-19 pandemic was worldwide. So if some countries got it right, what are we doing? Where are we missing where's where's the gap and one interesting note is that especially in the netherlands they had a decrease in hospital births and an increase in home births out of hospital births and the data suggests that that might might have influenced their numbers improving mm -hmm. so we we can't just blame all the bad stuff on you know a wave of illness that sweeps through the country right. we have to take responsibility for what we're doing for women during the crisis. Right. Well, that goes along with that uh, study that I was referring to. I wish I could remember more about it, but where when the midwifery uh, clinic came in and started taking care of women, uh, the, yes. the numbers dramatically dropped. And then when they were uh, escorted or out or shut down or whatever, then the numbers went back up to where they were. I mean, that's another example here, I think, of what they saw in the Netherlands. I think. Well, it is. Uh, I think there's a similar story in Los Angeles, too. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's outrageous, and we should all be outraged about it, and we should <laughs> uh, be doing everything we can to change this, because we can. We can change yes. it. It's not like it's it's a problem that can't be fixed. It can be fixed. Um. Well, Tell our audience a little bit about um, what what advice might you have out there for birthing parents, for people who are looking at having a baby or know someone, maybe their mm -hmm. children or someone that's going to have a baby. What advice do you have for them? Well, I think it should start with sharing information with anyone who will listen and you know, again, Pat, we're not saying that out of hospital birth is the answer for everyone. We're not falling on right. a sword to push women in that direction. We don't want to do what some in the medical communities are doing just on the opposite end of that spectrum. Right. But we, we need women to make informed choices. 
And by saying anyone who will listen to them, we we also need them to share that with people who may attend a birth with them, whether this is information that they get from classes, from their own research, from their own experiences, share the information with, with anyone who will listen, educate the person next to you. And, you know, it's interesting. I attended a meeting just this morning and one of the things that was on, you know, birth and um, caring for women in the early postpartum period. And one of the stories that was shared in this meeting was regarding um, a young woman who's making choices for herself about where she wants to have her baby, but her mother is strongly, strongly against her choices. So this woman is waffling back and forth about her decision. And I think if we share this information and show the the, the value or the validity behind the choices, that might help others to get on board with it. And we need to respect a woman's decision, a woman's choice, a woman's option to birth the way she wants to birth. Yes. Uh, in, in addition to that, what comes up for me is making information available for birthing parents, for a woman to find out what are the risks if I do this? What are the risks if I do it that way? Uh, they, yes. a, a woman can only make an educated decision if she has been educated. And where is that education coming from? I think we need to look at providing that information and how does a woman find it? Um, In an unbiased way. Yes, right. Exactly. Yes, very good. Uh, Well, say a little more about what can the community do out there? Well, as I ask you that one thing is, you know, (laughs) help us provide information, unbiased information. But what else can a community do? You know, when when you say community, the first thing that comes to mind is where are women getting their information? And many of them rely on their doctors when they go to the, the their prenatal visits. So I, I feel that whether they're getting information off of social media or from their prenatal visits, that that information needs to be factual and not biased. Um, I, I, sometimes I say a little bit too much, but there, let's just say I had a job once. And um, I was asked to stop teaching certain information in the childbirth classes that I was teaching at this particular place where I had a job. So we need to not do that. We we need to not stifle the truth in order to sway women or families in a certain direction. So the communities Mm -hmm. should tell the truth, provide resources and provide, um, again, unbiased but factual information so these families can make informed decisions and get involved. Yes. Yeah, just get involved. Yes, yes, very good, very good. Um, all right, well, uh, some closing words of advice uh, out there? Wow, um, I, I think that last that last question you asked me, I think that's, that's the advice that I would, I would give anyone who was to ask me. Um, I did have a young lady approach me recently about wanting to do birth work. And she said, I just, I think I'm too young and I don't think anyone's going to respect me. And I told her if she just tells the truth and accepts her calling that um, she can help families. There's a, a community for each age bracket, for each uh, yes. you know group out there, and she can touch lives in, yes. in ways that she probably doesn't realize right now. So yes. 
I Good think advice. people should, again, just reach out, get the information, share the information. Very good. Thank you, Catrice. Thank you for what you do in our community, for what you do Thank for you, birthing man. parents, for women. Um, we're very grateful. And as and thank you for what you've presented on this show. Thank you for letting me share. If you want to contact us, and we're always pleased to hear from you, our address is wholemothershow at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to hear this show again, or you want to hear some of our previous excellent shows, you can go to wholemothershow.com and, and hear years and years of shows. If you want to contact me personally, please feel free to email me at birthcare at AOL.com. Thank you to our engineers, to EJ, to Edward, to Eric for all your support and help to keep this show possible. Thank you out there for listening to Whole Mother. I'm Pat Jones, and this is KPFT 90.1 FM. Way up high.